Hi guys. Uh, I'm Dustin. Uh, so I've been here a couple of times before, uh, but it's been a little while. I'm coming from Little Rock to bring greetings from a church there called St. Andrews. All right. <laughs> um, and uh, Seth and I worked together there for a number of years. Uh, so it's just a pleasure to get to come up and uh, serve. My wife was supposed to be with me. We drove up here together, but we, while we were on the way, we actually got a, a text that my nephew, who lives in Lowell, who's six, had got hit by a car while he was on a skateboard. So I almost wasn't here, but it turns out he's okay. He just broke his leg. Um, so if you want to like say a prayer for Evan at some point, he's physically okay, but I think a little bit shaken up. So she obviously went to the hospital. Um, having kids is terrifying and wonderful. Uh, we have four little boys ourselves. They're eight, six, four, and two. And I think uh, being in church, uh, it's so fun to watch them discover Scripture and God and, 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 and own it themselves. And I think every kid goes through a phase as they're aging where they begin to have this growing sense of justice and they be- become concerned about justice. And uh, my oldest in the last uh, couple of weeks has come to that place where he is um, just absolutely indignant about the whole Adam and Eve situation. It's like, are you serious? Like, these people... They made a choice that affects me for all time, and now everything is affected. How can that be fair? Why could they not have just left the tree alone? Why? Uh, and I think uh, we all ask that question sometimes. Uh, so why? Why couldn't they leave the tree alone? Like, my eight-year-old's not wrong. Um, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, we know that they were, reject- re- they were rejecting God's authority over them, but Why? Uh, to, to ignore God's explicit instructions, they must have believed that God either didn't really know what was best for them or that he didn't really want what was best for them. I mean, that's exactly what the serpent was implying, what he was saying to them when he wanted them to believe. God is holding good things back from you. You can't trust him. You're going to have to look out for yourself. So taking the fruit, fruit was just putting into practice the belief that God at the end of the day, did not have their best interests at heart so that they, they would have to look out for themselves. We should be able to relate to this because the truth is, um, though I act like I'm eight sometimes, um, I recognize that every sin that I commit is ultimately essentially a reenactment of that first sin. Every time I sin, at its core, I'm saying something like, yeah, God, look, I know that this isn't what you want, But if you really understood me, if you really understood how things are down here, you would understand, I just, I need this. Uh, In every instance, we're believing that we know better than God what we need most. And we're saying, like, (laughs) you'll just have to deal with it because I'm going to do what's right for me in this situation. If you only knew. We're just putting into action the belief that we know better than God what's best for us. That's what sin looks like. Now, it's such a human thing to do universally and for all time, but in our American context, I think especially where personal freedom has been highly prized for so long, and we've been especially vulnerable to a particular kind of idolatry, uh, or it's a delusion really, um, that Christianity can be made compatible with that original sin, with that original impulse from Adam and Eve. We have believed that we could construct for ourselves a Christianity where we remain in charge, looking after our own best interests, but still have access to God's resources and support. 
um, as though Christianity is about Christ entering my life, coming into my life to get on board with my agenda, to support me in what I have going on. Um, I call this Jesus sidekick Jesus. Sidekick Jesus' job is to make my life safe, better, and more manageable. And as long as he's doing that, I'll keep him around. But when he fails to do those things, I begin to look for other options, other opportunities to see my agenda accomplished. All the people around actual Jesus during his ministry on earth were trying to make the same move, and that's why they kind of didn't get along so well a lot of the time. So here's how morality works with sidekick Jesus. Knowing that he likes some things, like helping poor people, and he doesn't like other things, like lying and cheating and murder, we sort of assume that the more we do things his way, the more likely he is to bother himself to get around to helping us out with what we want. This is the assumed quid pro quo, the the way things work. But when things don't work out this way, we start to resent him. He never signed the contract, but we think Jesus isn't living up to his end of the deal. And when we're working with sidekick Jesus, church itself is a pretty iffy proposition. We're constantly asking ourselves, maybe not consciously, but in the choices we make, is it worth it? Is me participating and being a part of this body of people helping me get what I want, helping me get what I think that I need? Is it meeting my needs? Is it advancing my agenda? And it's usually, (laughs) we're doing pretty good if we're riding the 50-50 line on something like that. Because inviting a whole bunch of other people into our lives tends to get in the way of our agenda. How could it not? The problem with sidekick Jesus, of course, uh, is not just that he's theologically off base. The, The problem with this kind of Christianity is that it doesn't work. It can't work. Because it's based on a false premise. In fact, it's based on the original false premise. That is, again, that I am the person best equipped to run my own life. That I know better than God what I really need. When what I actually need, the real thing that I need, is to have my life come under the authority and lordship of Jesus. If you've ever been anywhere around the recovery community, that step one is (laughs) recognizing that you're powerless. Basically what that's saying is, I'm actually not the person who knows best what I need, so I need help. I need to look to someone else. I need to be open to the fact that I've been wrong. Um, When I was growing up, uh, the language that we used in church a lot for talking about salvation was this picture of Jesus coming into my heart. The Bible talks like that. Jesus absolutely comes into our lives. But I guess um, the Spirit comes and lives in His people. And in fact, He changes our hearts. He teaches us to love new things. Um, but, but again, because of our particular brand of idolatry, um, it's easy for us to assume that that means, again, that Jesus is coming into our lives in the sense that he's coming under our program, that he's coming into our agenda, that we're driving things and he's here to help, perhaps. Uh, but in John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, this language that's so beautiful, um, and it feels a little bit circular at times, and I'm not going to break it apart too much, um, speaks to another picture that needs to be held alongside the picture of Jesus coming into our lives. Um, this picture, I'm just going to read again what Jesus says, talking about us uh, from John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. I don't ask for these only, the disciples that were present, but also for those who will believe in me through their words, us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, 
and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I want to paint a picture of what I'm hearing Jesus say when I read these beautiful words. It takes us not just back to the very beginning of time, but before the beginning of time. Before the beginning, God was three and he was one. He was a perfect community of love and unity, wholeness. So that when God created everything else that existed, he didn't make it because he was bored or because he was lonely. He wasn't trying to fill some emptiness in his own life. No, uh, the Trinity, uh, beautiful eternal dance that it is, was as complete as anything could ever be. So everything else that was made was an overflow, an overflowing of the perfect love and unity that existed in God. It spilled out, and it was made to be included in the life from which it came. We were made by love and unity, for love and unity, to be included in the life of the triune God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Um, When God made man, we're told that we were made in his image and that we were given, given dominion and authority over creation. This is in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, of course. Um, and what, what this means is nothing less than God intended these beings that he had made uh, to be an extension of his own presence in the world, uh, to love with his love, to do uh, the things that he would do, to be so near to him, so connected to him, that wherever his servants were, wherever his human servants were, Uh, They would do things and make things the way that he would have them to be. Just like Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We were to be an extension of his presence in the world, included in the life of God and extending it into the world. But instead of finding our life in him, Instead of uh, finding our purpose in that relationship and letting our life, the life of God flow through us, we imagined that we knew better and we chose to go our own way. And then seeking life apart from the source of life, of course, has left us in a desert. Um, we're like people standing in front of an ocean of clean water that is the love and presence of God, fighting over a, a half cup full of dirty, dirty water. Um, living at odds with each other in a world of false scarcity. It's like we don't think there's enough of anything, not enough love, not enough purpose, not enough, not enough meaning, because we've been cut off from the source of all those things that is infinite and unemptiable. Cut off from the true vine, the vines wither. But God in his love would not leave us that way. Think about the incarnation. God the Son puts on human flesh. He literally takes mortal humanity and he puts it on and he draws it up into the life of the triune God. And then the response as Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father in the form of as a, as a man is that the Holy Spirit is sent into the church and it comes, he comes and lives in us, making us quite literally the body of Christ on earth so that Whereas before, humanity had been separated from God, whom we were made by and meant to live in eternal relationship with, 
We've been reunited, reconnected to the source of life. Not by anything that we have done, but by Christ's own beautiful act through the incarnation and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Once again, enabled to participate in the life of God. Now, this beauty, this wholeness isn't complete for us now. It will be consummated in the resurrection. But, friends, at Christ the King, the future is breaking into the present now. This is what is on offer to us. When, when Christianity is offered to us, when it's an opportunity, when this option is given to us, is this what you want in your life? What we're talking about is participation in the very life of God, being included in His life learning to love what he loves, learning to see other people through his eyes, learning to be a part of what he is doing in the world because he is at work in the world. He is among us. He is on the move. And to receive this incredible thing, greater than any promotion you could ever get, greater than any job you could ever be offered, we only have to give up the original delusion that we know better than the one who made us what we need, that we care more about ourselves than he does, allowing our lives to be caught up in Christ, not to have his life come under ours to give us a little more power to get our agenda accomplished, but to allow our whole life and purpose to come under his. As Paul says, we are now in Christ. It's not I live, but Christ who lives in me. So my purposes are his purposes. My being in a place is his being in that place, trusting uh, that, is, I, that, that wherever I go, he is there with me. Submitting our agenda to his, allowing our desires to become his, empowered by his power for the glory of his name, a living extension of his own divine life. Embracing the good news that Jesus is not just a powerful friend who helps us with our problems, but he is the king who has set us down next to himself on the throne. Now, back with sidekick Jesus, we wondered how much bad we could get away with um, and still, you know, without him running off and leaving us. But when participation in the life of Christ is our framework, questions about earning God's love are revealed as utter nonsense. It's like asking, it's like a blind man asking if he has to open his eyes after he's been healed of his blindness. Living Christ's agenda instead of ours is the blessing. It's not something that we have to do to get the blessing. His ways are the way of flourishing, not a way to convince God to give us the stuff that we think that we need. Similarly, again, with sidekick Jesus, of course, church isn't worth it. But if we are in Christ, if we are participating in the life of Christ, caught up in his life, again, back to John 17, church is anything but optional. Because being united to Christ means being connected to each other. He is the hub and we are the spokes. You can't be connected to him without being connected to each other. We are one body in Christ. There is simply no way to love him without loving the rest of him. The rest of his body. Now, when we look at what God is inviting us to do, when, he's, when we look at the invitation, what Christ has for us, it's hard to trust him. Because the truth is, we don't want what he wants for us most of the time. That's why we don't believe that he really has what's best in mind. We want recognition in Netflix. But if we're willing to trust him, to take a step in the direction of saying, I'll go where you want me to go, even if it doesn't make sense to me. I'll love this person in this way, even if it doesn't feel good. 
that is the life of faith, we will find that he can be trusted again and again, and we will find that it is life. And if we have any doubt about whether or not God can actually be trusted, about his intentions towards us, we have only to look to the sacraments. In a moment, we will come to the table to receive the bread and the wine. And as you come, I invite you to look at the bread and wine and to hear it saying, body and blood of Christ, broken for you. Jesus is saying, I love you this much. I love you this much that I am broken. You can trust me. I'm holding nothing good back from you. My very life is yours. Be united to me. Take my life into you and let your life be caught up in mine. I'm sharing my very life with you. So friends, as you prepare to come to the table, as we prepare to come to the table in a moment, where do you find yourself back at the tree with Adam and Eve wondering if God can really be trusted? Where do you find yourself back in that moment of decision thinking, I know God doesn't want me to do this, but he doesn't understand. I need this. Where is that for you? Where is it hard to trust that God really knows, that he really loves, that his ways are freedom? When you come, come submitting these things to him. Hand them over at the cross and receive his love in return, his life in return, and the invitation to be caught up in his very own love for you and his love for the world. Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we believe we know what's best. But your ways are better. Teach us, Lord, as we look on and think on your broken body, to love what you love, to hate what you hate, to live for the things that you call worthy, your mission. And we can't do this by our own power, but we pray, Jesus, that you enable it by the mighty power of your Holy Spirit, that your authority would flow through this body, that your love would be known in this community. We pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.